0: into the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, the title of my message tonight is Amazing Jesus, Amazing Jesus. Now, you can take that title in two different ways, of course. It could speak about the fact that Jesus is amazing, or it could be taken to mean that we do something that amazes Jesus. And, you know, we oftentimes talk about how amazing Christ is, and that's for good reason. He's amazing. And uh, we sing several different songs related to that. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean, and so forth. And uh, so he is amazing in every sense of the word. And even in the day in which he lived, and although he was rejected by a great many, nevertheless, people were oftentimes amazed by him. For example, they were amazed by his message. Matthew chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, but verse 28 says, "...and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine, that is, at His teaching." And the Bible says, "...never a man spake as this man." And so people were amazed at the message and the manner in which it was delivered. But not only that, we know that people were amazed by His miracles." And again and again and again we we see uh, reference to that, how people were simply amazed whenever he did something that was supernatural. And remember, the supernatural is natural for him. He doesn't have any difficulties. He never has to strain himself in any way. Uh, He just does what he wants to do. And so we have every reason to be amazed at Jesus but have you ever thought about what amazes Jesus? What amazes Jesus? And as we look in the Bible here in the New Testament, we find that there are two occasions where, where Jesus was amazed. And I want you to look at both of these tonight because it, they seem to contradict one another, actually. But we're going to look at both of them. And the first one is found here in Luke chapter 7. And we find that Jesus was amazed by the faith of a certain man. Here's the story. Now, when he had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them and When he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say a word, and my servant shall be healed." For I also am a man set under authority, having unto me soldiers, and I say to one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Now in this story we find the centurion's servant being healed. And and notice verse number 9. This is the key because it tells us that Jesus was amazed by the faith of this man. It says, He marveled at him. And that word marble comes from a Greek word, thalmezo, is the way you would pronounce it, but uh, that's not important. The important part is the meaning of that is wondered or amazed. And and it's telling us here that he, that is Christ, he wondered, he was amazed uh, at this man. And so, you know, when you think about Jesus being amazed, I mean, that's something and, and, and please understand that in, in writing this, the, the Bible, any and all of it, God has to accommodate our ignorance. God has to speak in language that we can understand. Like I said a few weeks ago, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? And, and you know, and that's right. But there are certain verses of Scripture that you know makes it seem like that God suddenly come up with an idea you know and and one of the reasons that we get confused is because we fail to understand that God's communicating to us through language and you know you, you you can't ever just capture the entire essence of your relationship with the Lord just in words because why well sometimes it's what unspeakable you see beyond anything that can be described but the Bible says he marveled or was amazed at him. And the, 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 the whole root of the thing, getting down to the bottom line, as we might say, has to do with the faith of this man. And whenever you look at the story and examine carefully all of the details of it here, it becomes clear there's several different things involved in this that, this man's, that made this man's faith amazing. First of all, it was faith in the unseen, because up until now, this man had only heard about Christ. In other words, he didn't have all of the evidence that others had, and yet he believed. There had been others that had been following him. Remember a while ago, I said that many were amazed at the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he had gained quite a following of people that were just curious you know, they, they just follow him from place to place, hoping to see some miracle. They, in other words, they, they didn't want the truth necessarily. They wanted a performance. And, and that's all they cared about. And whenever they couldn't get what they wanted, the Bible says they went back and walked with him no more. And I've often thought about that and thought about what the average pastor would do. The average pastor would be probably running after them saying, Oh, no, no, no. We need, we need to sit down and talk about this and we'll pray together and we'll work through this. I want you to stay. And Jesus just let them go and he turned to those that was with him and said, You want, are you going also? You know, I think sometimes we put too much pressure on people and, And we need to get back to the fact that when the Lord adds to the church, we get the right people in the church. When we add to the church, why, we end up having problems naturally. And so this man didn't have the evidence that others had, and he had only heard about Jesus. Well, you know, that's what faith is. And and so this man's expressing his faith, his belief that there is hope to be found in the Lord. But not only that, you notice that he believed that Jesus could heal at a distance by merely speaking a word. You know, he, he, in fact, he said, you don't need to come in the house. In fact, you know, I'm not worthy. You come into my house. And so at a distance... Now, you know, we might have thought, well, Lord, I want you to come and lay hands on him or anoint him with oil or, you know, do something of a physical nature. And we know that in some instances the Lord, you know, spit on the ground and took the spittle and made mud and anointed the man's eyes. And maybe, you know, this man's thinking, you know, do something. But instead of that, he realized and believed that the Lord didn't even have to come into the house in order to... To, to meet his need. But there was another thing about his faith that I think was uh, was amazing to Christ, and that is that his request was for somebody else and not for himself. You know, he could have said, you know, I want, a, I, I want a promotion. I want to get higher up the rank, so to speak. In fact, I wouldn't mind ruling a nation, you know, if you would permit me. Or, or he might have said, you know, I've been having, uh, lumbago. Boy, uh, well, that's an old timey word, isn't it? And, you know, we, we used to, nowadays we have all of these different back problems and what have you, and we got all of these scientific names, but back when I was a boy growing up, And every neighborhood, you know, there'd be some of the older folks and they'd just, all, all, all you'd ever see them do is sit out on the, out on the porch in a porch swing or a rocking chair. That's all they ever didn't. You say, well, what's wrong with him? Well, he's got lumbago down in his back. They didn't have anything to help him back then. Well, I don't know what kind of problems this fellow might have had, but I'm sure that he could have thought up something, but he doesn't make any request related to his needs or to his desires, and you know, there's you've got to admire somebody that puts the needs of others ahead of their own, and that's what he's doing. He's praying for for one of his one of his servants of all people, one of his servants to be healed. This is somebody that most people didn't really care anything about. I mean, they're down here at the bottom rung of the totem pole, so to speak. And uh, why would we be of great concern to Him? You know, they're a dime a dozen. We can get more servants. I mean, if He dies, He dies. No big deal. But Jesus was impressed. He was, in fact, amazed by the faith of this man who was willing to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, although he had not seen Him and had no real hard evidence, as we might say. And although he was at a distance and... uh, the fact that he cared about the needs of his servant. But not only that, he was bold enough to ask for help. And you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, were you to go to them and ask them, do you believe God could meet that need or solve that problem? And, you know, their answer would be, well, well, yeah, of course, God, He created the world, He can do any of that. But yet they never go directly to God and make a request that God will meet those needs. But this man did. But maybe the most notable thing of all of this is the fact that this man is a Gentile and not a Jew. And I want you to notice he didn't presume upon the Lord by making any demands. You know, he could have said, look, I'm a man in authority. Well, he mentions that. But but he, he does it in a positive way rather than a negative way. He could have said, you know, I command you to heal my servant. But this fellow has a spirit of humility. Here is a man that realizes he is unworthy of even being in the Lord's presence. And he simply trusted the Lord, believing that he would do what was best. And the Bible says he was amazed. You know, the Jews had every reason in the world to believe on Christ, and they rejected Him. Here's a man with seemingly no reason to put his faith in Christ, and he receives Him. The fact of the matter is, if we want to please the Lord, then we're going to have to do it by way of faith. Hebrews 11, 6 tells us, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him so you know we could say well you know i, uh, I i'm a very you know intelligent i'm a very uh, astute uh, person i've studied the bible i can quote numerous verses from the bible or you know we might say that you know i have an awesome singing voice and i'm just a blessing to everybody everywhere i go or we might say i've got tons of money and i give to charitable institutions everywhere and uh, you know people are impressed by my uh, by all of my charities and so forth and yet none of those things would impress the lord jesus christ nearly so much As a poor beggar or somebody that says, Look, Lord, I don't have anything to offer You, but I trust You. I believe You are who You claim to be, and I trust You with everything. You know, this morning I was talking about a lot of times there are things that, you know, were we to see another Christian doing, and we might automatically conclude, Well, they're not even a Christian. Most certainly, if we see them doing those things, we would at least, at least determine, well, you know, they might be a Christian, but boy, they're really backslidden. Because Christians shouldn't do any of those things. And then we turn around and, 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 and refuse to trust the Lord for our needs and worry and fret and make ourselves sick, all because of the fact that we fail to exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's one thing to have saving faith and to believe He's going to forgive you your sins and take you to heaven. It's another thing to have that kind of faith that depends upon Him day after day after day after day. If you want to impress the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, I think all of us should have that desire, you know, I, you know, to impress Him in, in the sense that that He is pleased to do that, we've got to have faith. The the great thing about this is, you know, in, a, in, in regards to a lot of things, we say, well, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that, or I don't have this and I don't have that, and there's not anything I can do about it. You know, we're just not gifted in a certain area, and we can't just snap our fingers and create some kind of a spiritual gift. Some people try to do that, but it doesn't work very well. But the wonderful thing about, you know, if we have a lack of faith is the fact that we can increase our faith because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There are some folks, you know, that they don't come on Sunday night. They don't come on Wednesday night. They come part of the time on Sunday morning and things like that. And then they're out here all the rest of the week. They're fighting life's battles You know, they're facing temptations. They're going through all of these difficulties and things of that nature. And then they wonder, why is it that I'm not able to cope with the things of life? Why is it that I suffer one defeat after another? And the answer is very simple. You can't listen, you can't go day after day after day after day without eating and it not having effect on you physically and you cannot neglect the word of God without it having an effect upon you in a spiritual way. Faith comes by hearing. You want to increase your faith? And listen, when we increase our faith, we enhance our life in every way imaginable. It affects everything about us. Somebody says, well, you know, I've just got a bad outlook on life. We've got the wrong guy in the White House, and we've got the wrong team won this week, and this is wrong, and that's wrong, and, and you know, and everything is negative and, and what have you. Boy, I'll tell you, whenever, we, whenever we've got the kind of faith that says, you know, regardless of who's president, Jesus is still the king, you know, we don't need to worry about, we don't need to worry about all of that stuff. Now, we need to be concerned about the condition of our nation, Right? We need to be concerned about the welfare of our family, right? Absolutely. But listen, if our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to get back to Matthew six thirty-three, where He says, "...seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to get everything I want, but it means I'm going to get everything I need if I'm seeking first His kingdom. And so we are forbidden to worry. And by way of amazing Jesus is simple faith. And this man is a Gentile. There's no reason, you know, in comparison to the Jews, no reason for him to have any faith in Jesus. And yet he does. And Jesus is amazed. Now, turn back to Mark chapter number 6. And here in Mark chapter number 6, we see the second time that the Bible speaks about Jesus being amazed. And here we find a different story, a different situation. In fact, whereas in the first instance, Jesus was amazed by the faith of uh, of the centurion, now we see Jesus amazed by a lack of faith. And and notice what he says beginning in verse number 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, For From whence hath this man these things? Remember, I told you earlier, people were amazed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and notice, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and 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 uh, jo- Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing these people that teach it, Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters? And right there it is in the Bible. I mean, clears the nose on your face. Now, notice verse 4. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And here it is. And notice, And he could there do no mighty works, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folks and healed them. Now listen, and he marveled. There, that same word again. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Now, this story is just as amazing as the first story, but in a different way. Because in the first story, Jesus marveled at the presence of faith, and now He marvels at the lack of faith. Remember, Nazareth was the hometown of Joseph and Mary, and Jesus grew up there. He had preached in the synagogue there. His preaching astonished the people. The point is, they had absolutely every reason to believe Him, to trust Him, to follow Him. They had observed the perfection of His life. They had marveled at His preaching, and yet they rejected Him. Now, their lack of faith, it says, amazed, marveled. He marveled at their lack of faith. Now, think about it for a minute. Jesus could look into the starry skies and not be amazed. I don't know about you, but... But I can't help it. You go out on a dark night and look up in the sky and see the stars, and that amazes me. But Jesus could look at the stars, faraway galaxies, and and never be amazed by any of that, because He knows all about all of those galaxies out there, and, and the ones that we can't even see, and it doesn't amaze Him. He knows about the microscopic world that is such a mystery to us, things that the natural eye cannot even see, the things that are mysterious. And and none of those things amaze the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, the supernatural is natural to Him. But He's amazed by their lack of faith, the fact that they refuse to trust Him, And considering all of the evidence, folks, it's still amazing that people today would reject the Lord Jesus Christ. To think, with all of the evidence that we have, that we would reject Him. Romans chapter number 1 talks about those who do just that. And it tells us there that the visible things that we see, in other words, God's creation... The visible things testify as to the invisible. In other words, we know about God, learn about God. We, we can see in creation His wisdom and His power and so forth. And so it teaches us something about God. But then it says, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. In, in other words, regardless of where you go, On this earth, there are people that have, whether they deny it or not, there are people that have some kind of a concept of a higher being. I mean, they might not be anywhere close to what you and I believe about eternal life and sin and a thousand and one other things, but you just go everywhere and find people worshiping something because they all realize that there is some kind of a higher power. And yet, whenever they deny that, And that's what's described in Romans chapter 1. They deny that. In other words, they go contrary to what their own heart is telling them. They deny the evidence that they see with their own eyes. And their foolish heart was darkened and became vain in their imagination, the Bible says. And consequently, they reach the point that it says God just gave them over to a reprobate mind. God said, you know, this is what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But it's amazing when we stop and think about all of the evidence that we have for the existence of God and all of the evidence that we have that Jesus is the Son of God and, and to think about that we, would, that we would reject Him, that we would refuse to trust Him. I mean, nothing could be more foolish than that, right? Nothing could be more fatal than that. Because when you turn away from Him, you have nowhere else to go. When you refuse to trust Him, you don't have anyone else that you can depend upon. And with all of the evidence, it's kind of like, you know, what more does He have to do? He arose from the grave. Amen? What more more do you want Him to do? Think about the rich man, you know, when he died in... And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And you remember the story. He began to converse with Abraham. And uh, there he said, you know, I've got two brothers. Would you send Lazarus over to to my two brothers and tell them? I don't want them to come to this place. You've heard people say, well, I don't care if I go to hell or not. i got a lot of friends there. But you don't have anybody there that wants you there. Nobody there that wants you to come there. And he said, "I don't want my brothers to come to this place and uh so the response was, Abraham said, Well, they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. In other words, they have the word of God, let them hear hear them in, in other words they they can hear the truth if they want to receive the truth. He said, Oh no, no, you know, but if one rose from the dead, yeah." You know, just send that old beggar back there and let him go up and knock on their door and uh, that will make all the difference in the world. And he, Abraham responded, you know, if they will not hear uh, Moses and the prophets, he said, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Think about that. And that's the way it is. Even though Jesus rose from the dead, there are still those saying, I still can't believe Somebody says, well, you know, I, I, I don't believe anything that I can't see or I can't understand. Are you kidding me? In, in the first place, that wouldn't be faith. That, that'd be sight. In the second place, you do that all of the time. You don't even know how much is in your bank account right now. You might think you do, but you don't really. And whenever, you, whenever you go to fly someplace and you get on the plane... You don't have any idea, you know, what the pilot's name is. You've never met this guy, and you're going to get on the plane and fly a thousand or two thousand miles across the country in a in a plane that you know that was made by man. You don't know if it's going to get you there or not. You go to the doctor and he scribbles out a prescription that you can't read. You go take it to the pharmacy and give it to a guy you've never met, and he gives you some medicine you know that you've never seen before. And you start popping those pills and you have no idea what you're taking. Somebody, you know, somebody with a degree told you, "No, this is what you need for your problem. And and you trust them, you see. Well, why in the world can't you trust the one that lived a perfect life, died on the cross to save you from your sins, arose from the grave and gave you the perfect Word of God? Why in the world can't you trust Him? And, and, and the Lord is saying that He is amazed here by the fact that they refuse to trust Him. Now, that's just part of the story. Here's, here's the sad, I mean, that's sad, but to think about the fact that not only, not only did their lack of faith amazed Jesus, but it averted what He wanted to do there. Notice it said He could do there no mighty works now, that tells me there are things more important than healing the physical body. Some people think, you know, that's the ultimate, that's the most wonderful thing in all of the world. I remember years ago, right after I surrendered to preach, and, and, uh, back in Springfield, where I came from, the national headquarters of the Assemblies of God were there, and, and, and also the, the Pentecostals, they had their college and their, their headquarters. So we got all of those, uh, Benny Hens of that day and so forth. They all came through Springfield. They all held their meetings there. And uh, so one day another guy and I, we decided that we we were going to go see what one of these divine healing meetings were all about. Boy, they had built this up, and I'm telling you what, it, they were going to do this and they were going to do that. And so we thought, we'll just, we we didn't believe it. We just wanted to see what it was about. We'd never seen anything like that. And so we went there and uh, got off to a really wild start. And, and, and I don't know whether they recognized that a couple of Baptists had come in or what. Uh, but the, the, the preacher got up and he started talking about there's something here really killing the spirit here tonight. And just the spirit's not able to work. And boy, if you're here and you're not part of us and you don't believe, you need to leave. And we stood there and looked at each other like, yeah, boy, that's us. And... Uh, Anyway, we stayed for a while as long as we could, and, and, and then we couldn't take it anymore. At first, they couldn't take us being there, but later on, we couldn't take being there anymore. But the, the point I'm trying to make is some people act as though the most wonderful thing that could possibly happen is for somebody to be healed of cancer or heart disease or something like that. And it's not. It's not. It says He could do no mighty works there. Now, Jesus healed people, but He couldn't do any mighty works there. Notice, save that He laid His hands on a few sick folks and healed them. In other words, there was physical healing for those folks, but He still couldn't do what He really wanted to do. So what was it that He he really wanted to do there? Well, I think beyond any shadow of a doubt, He wanted them to understand that He was the Lamb of God that came into the world to give His life as a sacrifice for their sins that they might be born again. That's the mighty work that He wanted to do there among them. And the fact that they refused to believe, it wasn't, listen, it wasn't because, you know, because they weren't good enough. That wasn't the problem. None of us are good enough. wasn't because they didn't need him because they certainly did. It was all because they refused to believe. And like ancient Israel, there in Psalm 70, it said, they limited the Holy One of Israel. In, in, in other words, they, they hindered God from doing what God wanted to do for them. Why? Because of their unbelief, and that's what's going on here. And even so, listen, when you refuse to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you are limiting what God wants to do in your life. And it starts, it starts with Him wanting to save your soul. If you're not saved, that's what He wants for you. That's what you ought to want for yourself. And it is amazing to think that you would reject God's offer of salvation. And it's 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 the worst mistake you could possibly make. Over the years, I'd read several quotations by George Bernard Shaw. Didn't really know hardly anything about the man. And in fact, some of the quotations really sounded good. And I thought, boy, you know, this this guy must really have his act together. And and then I began to research a little and realize that he was what is called a free thinker. That is, he was a liberal philosopher. Uh, And so he was all messed up whenever it comes to spiritual things. But he influenced a lot of people. In his last writing before he died, this is what he wrote. The science to which I pinned my faith is bankrupt. Its councils, which should have established the millennium, led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believed them once. In their name, I helped to destroy the faith of millions of worshipers in the temples of a thousand creeds. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who has lost his faith. Folks, you could not have anything worse happen to you than to get to that place in your life to where you no longer are able to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's the danger of rejecting Him. It's not that God has shut you out. It's that you continuously reject Him. You know, so many people over the years have have expressed their concern about, whether they've committed the unpardonable sin. I can't tell you the number of times say, people have said to me, Preacher, I can't be saved. I've committed the unpardonable sin. And, you know, they usually got something in mind, you know, some vile, filthy sin that's in their life and so forth. And, uh, and they express the fact, you know, I'd like to become a Christian, but I, I just can't. Well, let me tell you, as long as you have that desire that you would like to be a child of God... I don't think you got anything to worry about having committed the unpardonable sin. But I'm telling you, a person can go on rejecting Christ over and over and over again till the Spirit of God ceases to deal with you and leaves you in that dead spiritual state. And as he says, to give you over to a reprobate mind, to do those things that are not convenient. In other words, God's just going to let you have your way... And live the life of your choosing. And the the point of the matter is you can reach that point of no return. Think about what a glorious opportunity it was for the people in Nazareth. Jesus is there. He has all power in heaven and earth. And He is there to bestow a blessing upon those people and to meet their deepest needs. And they believed not. And as a result of their lack of faith, He left that city and they missed the opportunity. How foolish it would be for you tonight to reject Him, to insist that I've got to have more evidence than that because you have absolutely everything you need to come to the conclusion that He is who He claimed to be. Don't don't end up like George Bernard Shaw when you come down to your deathbed and realize your mistake and, and, and realize that you've sinned away the day of grace, so to speak, in that you have so hardened yourself that now you've reached that point of no return to where there is no hope, and you go out in a Christless eternity. Don't let that happen. And if you're here today and a child of God, and you say, I want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else. I want to impress Him. I want to please Him. You know, I'd like to live my life in a way that would just amaze Him. Sometimes we put it like this, and I've said it a thousand times, I guess, the one thing I want more than anything else when I die is to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the one thing above everything else that I want to hear, to know that I in some way have pleased my dear Savior. And the only way any of us can do that is by trusting Him. And we don't have any reason not to. We have every reason to believe that He'll do what He promised because He's never failed. Let's stand together. Father, tonight I pray that You'll use these simple but very serious thoughts that we've talked about and that You'll rebuke us for our lack of faith. And Lord, tonight that You might might deal with the hearts of Your people, that we might learn to trust You day by day for the needs of our life. And then, Lord, for that person that's here that's never received Christ as their Savior, Lord, help them tonight to understand that uh, that You died for them, that You paid their sin debt, and that there's no reason whatsoever for them to go another day, another minute, or another second without the assurance of heaven in their heart. And so I pray tonight that You'll just bring them under, under conviction and bring them to that place that they would put their trust in Christ is their Lord and Savior. For we ask it in His name, Amen. Let's. Stand.